Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 181 called Michelle V. Hello, Infertile AF listeners. This is Blair Nelson over at Fab IVF Mama on Instagram and the host of the Fab Fertility podcast. I am also Allie's business partner and partner in crime. During the pandemic, after we met through the podcasting world and over on Instagram, we decided to start a business together, Fertility Rally, which is an online membership and virtual events platform for anybody and everybody struggling with infertility to grow their families. So I'm here to invite you to join our membership. We open the first of every single month. And as a member, you can count on a very deep support system. We offer four weekly virtual support groups. We offer curated virtual events throughout the year private Facebook groups, and also our member website that is full of blog posts, videos, you name it. If you have a question about infertility, I promise you you can find an answer from one of those avenues, whether it be the website, a support group, or the Facebook group. Basically, it's what we wish we would have had when we were going in through infertility. And honestly, it just warms our hearts and it is our passion to help this community through podcasting and through Fertility Rally. So if you are looking to up-level your infertility support system, we are here for you. So don't forget, we open the first week of every month, just the first week, go to www.fertilityrally.com slash membership to join us. And you can use code infertileaf 10 for $10 off your annual membership or $10 off your first month. We really hope we can meet you soon over the internet to teach you how to rally like a mofo. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code Alley 15 you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Allie, 15, A-L-I, 15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Okay, guys. So Michelle V is the proud mom of her angel baby, Sweet Pea, who she lost due to miscarriage, her angel daughter, Colette Louise, who she lost at nine days old, and her only living child, her rainbow baby, Elliot Miguel. And today, Michelle's going to tell us all about her family building journey, including infertility, IVF, miscarriage, infant loss, and so, so much more. She's also going to tell us how she and her husband founded the Colette Louise Tisdall Foundation, whose mission is to improve outcomes of pregnancy, childbirth, prematurity, and infancy, as well as aid in the grieving process through financial assistance, education, and advocacy. So Michelle is a huge badass. I'm so proud she's sharing her story today on my show And to anybody who has gone through any of this or is going through any of this, please know I'm always here for you guys. If you want to chat, you can DM me, you can email me. I'm sending you all the love in the world. So without further ado, this is Michelle's infertility story. All 
right, Michelle. Hello. Thank you for doing this. We are going to start at the beginning of your story as I usually do with people. So tell me about growing up. Did you always want to have kids? Always. I mean, I I just, I don't feel like there was ever a time that I didn't want to have kids. And, you know, I think really young, I dreamed of like a very big family, you know, and so very like five or six kids. I think as, as time went on, I got a little bit more realistic about what I could handle and what made sense and really kind of settled on like two kids. And that was just always my dream and always my thought. Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of sex education for you, because I think that's always an important piece of this puzzle as well, like the fertility puzzle is that, you know, so many people that I talked to growing up, like didn't learn that much about their own bodies or how difficult it could be to have a baby. You know, we're always taught it's really, really easy. So what was your experience with sex education? You know, I think you hit on all of that stuff, right? Um, I always joke, my husband doesn't like this joke, but I always say like, if I had known how difficult it was to actually get pregnant, I would have had more fun when I was single. Um, (laughs) Totally. And and I think that was very much what it was. You know, um, I went to Catholic school my whole life. And Mm -hmm. I will say that for me, at least I, I went to Catholic schools that I do feel like tried their best to skirt the line of like the religious piece with also some realism, but there was definitely that fear factor of like, you know, the first time you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely this like just ease of getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, and I think that that's very much what I lived in was this like, you know, fear of getting pregnant and how easy it was to do that. Right. And so that was definitely something that I think I struggled with, you know, later on when, when that wasn't the case, right. That wasn't my reality. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was very definite, um, you know, kind of like you try, you decided to to have sex and you got pregnant and, and that was very much the message I think that always was kind of around. Yeah. I mean, I understand it big picture wise and why they made us all think that it makes sense, but it's just, I feel like the implications of that and what it actually how it actually affected people as they did try to have kids was kind of messed up, you know, because it was like, we didn't get the whole picture. Right. So maybe there's, I don't know. I'm always talking about sex education reform and how could we do it better and differently and just like be more transparent about our own bodies. Cause I still feel like there's so much, I don't know about my own body. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I definitely feel the same way. And I was going to say, you know, like, I think to your point, you know, when, when we get these messages as kids and we internalize these messages as kids and, you know, young adults and everything, and and then we have experiences of infertility or it just takes longer or anything like that, there's a feeling of failure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the message I sort of got and internalized, whether intended this or not, is I was a woman. I had a sexuality and I had the ability to not only the ability, but like that was part of my sort of job, right? That was like a natural thing to get pregnant. And it was so easy that, you know, instead of spending time on like the struggles of getting pregnant or potential struggles, the message was really much like, you know, until you want to have that baby, like basically keep your legs closed. And that was kind of the message. And so, you know, it's sort of when you, when you decide like, okay, well now I'm ready, let's do it. And it doesn't happen. There's this feeling of failure that comes mm-hmm. along with that. And that's really hard to deal with that in a world where, you know, and I think anybody who has struggled at all conceiving, gone through infertility treatments, whatever, it feels like when you're doing that, it feels like every other 
fucking person in the world is pregnant and gets pregnant like you know basically 100%. like boom you know and 100%. and it's like to feel in that world to have that internalization of that just I mean in an already stressful situation because anytime you're dealing with trying to conceive when it's not working right mm-hmm. is stressful enough on its own and then when you have this like internalization and this like outside world that for whatever reason, and I can say this having gone through various cycles, every time it feels like it's like, who else is going to be pregnant? Like, right, you know, totally. um, cause everyone else seems to be getting pregnant and I'm sitting here not. So tell me about your story. Okay. So you guys started to try when, and what happened? Did you know there yeah. was going to be a problem right away? I didn't expect anything, um, problem wise. Uh, I was, 34. Um, we were engaged to be married. Um, we were, in, and so this is August of 2016. Um, we were going, that was our wedding. Um, and right around the April, May kind of thing, independently of each other, both of our moms had said to us something to the effect of like, you know, if you got pregnant now, like it wouldn't be a big deal. You wouldn't really be showing or anything. Nobody would care at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And so sort of hearing it from both of it, I Memorial Day weekend, I started my period and was going to start on another round of birth control. And we had planned to start basically as soon as we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just turned to you know my fiance at the time, now husband, and said, I mean, do I start another round? Like, do I start another pack of pills or do we just try? And mm-hmm. and he said, you know what? You're right. Let's just, you know, and I and I was kind of sick of taking birth control, especially when it seemed like okay, so I'm going to take it for another two months, three months. And then, right. How old were you when um, you originally went on the pill? When I originally went on the pill, I was about 20, 21. Okay. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, and really what I saw at that point was I didn't expect to get pregnant before we got married. I really thought, well, this will be good. Cause it'll be giving me a couple of months kind of advanced to start getting the pill out of my system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hopefully fairly quickly after we, we get married, like I can get pregnant. And that was really what I I saw it as, you know? Right. And that wasn't the case. So, you know, we were trying and, and we were doing all the things that, you know, right. We, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to time things, you know, um, I had talked to my OB and, you know, my gyno OB and, you know, really just trying to like have lots of sex and enjoy it and right. naturally what we thought would happen. Yeah. Um, and it didn't, and it didn't again, and it didn't again. And, and so finally, um, so I actually think in Octo- late October, early November of that year, I actually do think that I might have been pregnant. I don't know. Um, I was traveling with my mom. Um, I was really exhausted. I was a little dealing with a little bit of nausea and those kinds of things. My mom actually sort of half jokingly, half serious sort of said to me, she was like, are you knocked up? And, you know, and I, and I joked about that, you know, like we kind of joked about that. And she was like, I think you might be. And she like, you know, got very serious. And she was like, I think you might be. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I were on a knitting retreat. And one of the other women in the group um, told me, asked me if I was pregnant kind of randomly. And I, I said, no, and whatever. And she said, oh, well, your eyes are glistening or gleaming and that's a sign that you are oh my god Um, and (laughs) I was like okay right like the first of many things where you know everyone has an opinion on everything right of course and and I was late 
And uh-huh. so, you know, I was like, okay, well, I, I guess when I get home, I'll, I'll take a test. And, you didn't have a test um, on the retreat. I'm guessing. I did right? not. Yeah. I did not. No. Okay. You're like, um, knit one up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think like also too, right. Like that was, you know, still early enough in our like kind of journey that I was like, yeah, it had been a few months of like trial and error and like that happening. It was a little frustrating, but it was also very much thinking, oh, this is going to be like, you know, the moment, right. I'm going to pee on a stick. My husband's going to be there. And so like, right. I didn't really want to do it away from him either. Yeah. So the night before we, we left, I started what I thought was my period. Mm. Um, and so that was really just like, you know, I think I had held it together for that point. Um, you know, it had been six months of trying. I yeah. was, a, I was not quite 35 yet, but I was, you know, um, getting close enough and, uh-huh. and all of that. Um, and so that was really like heartbreaking for me. Um, yeah. And then I stopped bleeding. And so then, you know, and I had my mom there who was like, well, you know, that's not unheard of that you have some spotting right. you know, early on. And so it was like thinking about that. And I remember in the airport going to the bathroom and, and like, it was just like full blown heaviest period I've ever had oh. kind of you know, thing. And I was like, okay, what it is. And then it stopped slowly shortly thereafter. And I just thought it was a weird period and I didn't think much of it. Because again, you know, kind of like you'd said before, like, we don't know that much about our bodies, right? right? So I'm bleeding and I'm a little bit late and I just think it's a normal period. And some periods are a little bit heavier than others. And, yeah. you know, and so I didn't really think much of it. Uh, now, in retrospect, knowing everything I know now, I often think that that was, that was actually a miscarriage. Mm. Um, but, you know, no way to know now, right. <laughs> just to kind of, you know, guess. Um, yeah. And And then it was shortly... After that, um, so probably like the end of October or so that I was like, you know what, let's just go get checked out and let's just see, you uh-huh. know, like if there's an issue, maybe we can fix it. Uh-huh. Um, and so we did some testing with a fertility center and, you know, really just got the like dreaded unexplained infertility diagnosis mm. what did they test you for um, like what did they do was it just like blood panel and all that stuff and- so it was blood panel for both of us um it was a um, a semen analysis uh ultrasound for me mm-hmm. maybe that was it i think okay. that might have been it okay yeah. so um, unexplained was unexplained the diagnosis okay so, so what did they suggest so um the doctor wanted to go straight to ivf mm-hmm. you know in retrospect again like I'm not really sure why, like he never provided a great explanation. I was anti-IVF because, you know, my Catholic upbringing, right? Like to me, that was not something I was comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I said no right away. And, and my husband had known that that was a belief yeah. of mine. And was and, he Catholic you know, too? Or is he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't raised with a religion. So, you know, he was very much like, okay, I'm going to let you take the lead. And, yeah. you know, kind of in all of this, I will say that um, one thing that he has been awesome with is, you know, a lot of those decisions, he really lets me take the lead. He's like, it's your body that you're, you know, putting through these paces and these things. So like, ultimately, like you're the, you're the one who's got to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like the first time where, you know, I was definitely seeing that. So we tried IUIs. Mm-hmm. We did three or four IUIs, and I honestly just don't remember. Yeah, did you do them sure. kind of back to back? We kind of did them back to back. I know medication involved. Medication involved. Medication that made me absolutely crazy. Um, so, no, Clomid. I did not. I wasn't on Clomid. They had told us like the chance, the percentage of chances. To me, 
you know, like, I guess I had known Clomid. I knew, you know, people who took it and then got pregnant. I was like, let's go with the better chances. So it was injectables and, uh, you know, just made me crazy. Right. So I would like sob hysterically for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also at the same time, then I would feel like I was jumping out of my skin and it was just a whirlwind. And I, I remember in one of my monitoring appointments going in and saying to the nurse, like, like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if it's me, but like, I am crazy on these pills. Like, this is not, this is not normal. Yeah. This is not okay. This is not okay. This is not me. Like whatever. And the nurse looked at me and said, huh, that's not supposed to be a side effect and like walked away. And I was like, uh, uh, okay, but it is for me, right? I hate like, when so, they minimize your pain or frustrations yeah. or just kind of and, leave you hanging like that. Yeah. And so I did it and I had like all the things, like I, I remember at one point being so swollen from everything that literally none of my pants fit. And to work, I typically had, like at that point in my life, I typically wore dresses. And so I was able to pull off dresses, but, um, we were going out with friends and I didn't really want to wear a dress. And I remember just like, you know, sort of that like scene in movies of like, you know, throwing all the clothes out and being like, nothing fits. Yeah. Um, that was what I was in. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I've been there so many times. You know, right. Exactly. <laughs> the montage in your closet. Right. And you're like, uh, does this fit? Does this right. fit? Does right. this, you know? And, you know, so like, you know, the, all those kinds of things. And again, I would like report them and I was sort of being dismissed, you know, with mm. like, oh, that, that really shouldn't happen. Or like, oh yeah, that's, that's normal. And, you know, and I was like, I mean, I expected some bloating, but like literally nothing fits me. Like I didn't, like that wasn't part of the plan or my thoughts or anything. Mm -hmm. And so we did several IUIs, none of them took. And honestly, I came around to IVF largely because I was so tired of being on these terrible drugs and not having results. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, well, IUI is not as effective as IVF. So let's do IVF. Okay. Um, so let me ask before you go on, what, yeah. how is this like affecting your marriage? Were you guys on the same page? Was there any stress? Oh, there was total stress. Right? Okay. Tell like, me more I mean, about that. I mean, you know, we need to normalize feeling, this because yeah, it's like- I mean, feeling like so alone, right. I was doing this. I remember my husband and I having a really big fight because I was on God, I can't even think of the drug names. I feel like I've like blocked out so many things. Um, but it was in a, like a green little pouch. Okay. Um, and I was going, we were getting ready to go out or something and I uh, needed to do my shot. And I was like, hey, can you grab me the green thing? You know, and uh, he went and found something else entirely and brought that to me. And I was like, that's not what I use. I was like, and, and I had been doing shots for quite a while by that point. And um, I said, don't you remember what the green pouch is? And he like had no idea. And I just remember like losing it and saying like, this is your child too. And like, I at the very least need you to be like on, like doing this with me. Right. And um, like, how do you not remember the green right. pouch? Exactly. Motherfucker. And, um, <laughs> right. And like, that I, would have had been no, me. <laughs> I had no problem like injecting myself, which I know like I've had, yeah. you know, I have a very good girlfriend who like never could do that. And I totally was fine injecting myself. Like that never um, face me. And so I was doing a lot of it alone. And that was something that like, we had to change a lot of was like, mm-hmm. you know, then 
like Mark, my husband had to be present for it, right? Yeah. Like I was still okay with injecting myself. I wasn't asking him to do it, but I wanted him to know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to at least feel like if I'm going through all of this and I'm having the effects and I'm doing this, at least you're like present for it. Yeah. And you know, that was hard. And it's also hard, right? When you like when I'm saying like I'm sobbing for no reason, right? Like my poor husband is like, what is going on? And you know, and I'm like crying and I, I can't even tell you why I'm crying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, I, then I'm crying again because like nothing fits me and you right. know, I'm having that kind of issues. And like, you know, talk about body image issues that, you know, aren't like coming up and completely um, all of that. And, you know, so I think all of that is such a strain and, and it's so difficult. And, you know, also like, right in any relationship, like you're, like the sexual part of your relationship is supposed to be very much ingrained in part of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And you go through these procedures and it's like, let's take out all of the fun of sex. Let's take out all of the romance. Right. right? Cause like now we're going to put you on like time sex and we're going to shoot you up with these drugs that like mess with it. And you know, all of that. And like, really take it out and then you know by the way also like you can't have sex within this period of time because you have to provide the best sperm sample and blah 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 and it just like gets to this point where it's like oh my god like you know please don't touch me like ever like right now like it just Mm -hmm. you know because all of that's taken out and that has an effect on it as well right and so it's it's also very much trying to to get intimacy but in a different way than a lot of couples will. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's like a huge struggle. And also like there's, you know, I talked about my, my feelings of failure, but like my husband had those feelings too. Right. And, you know, his numbers were, were fine, but they weren't fantastic. And so, you know, he wanted to do something and they did tell him to go see a urologist and, urologist worked with him and then actually he went on Clomid at some point and all oh wow I don't know if I've ever heard of a man going yeah I didn't know that either until um it happened to me you know Mm -hmm. um but so he was on Clomid too so like again like he's also having you know like not to the same extent I'm having but he's having some you know kind of like hormonal issues and and things and like so you know we're all trying we're both trying to navigate this and you know, nothing is going according to plan, right? Like, you know, we're, we're at these points where it's like, okay, if anything had gone according to plan, we'd be like waiting a, a baby or a baby would be here and, you know, trying to navigate those and feel those out. And again, like I said, at the same time that every other fucking couple, you know, right. is like pregnant. Right? right. And so like, you know, we're trying for our first and we're, ha- we're finding out about friends and stuff who are pregnant with their second and the third and, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and it's really, it's a lot. Yeah, it um, is a lot, you know, and it becomes, you know, I think similar to like, you know, I know, um, you know, parents talk about this all the time, right? Like they'll have a date night or something and all they do is talk about the kids. Totally. Like, I felt like <laughs> it got to it, like, that was like a, a, you know, precursor to like one of the struggles as parents. It's like, all we seem to talk about was infertility Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. our lives were put on hold all the time, you know? And so it was things like, you know, okay, well, yes, except I might not be able to do that because of this. And, you know, um, no, let's not buy tickets to that. And no, let's not travel this. And, you know, it's all these stuff being put on hold, really just waiting for. Absolutely. So much waiting, so much life being put on hold. Right. There's never a good time, but then when you're in the middle of infertility, 
it feels like you're just being robbed of so much time too. And trying to figure out when you want to do another cycle or, you know, somebody's getting married. So let's wait until after that, or it's yeah, a holiday, right. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just the time continuum, the time like factor is oh, yeah. makes everything so much more complicated. And then right. you realize, Oh, it's all out of my control anyway. So like, right. why, like, like you're like, why I am I trying to control it? None of this matters. It's going to happen. Yeah. Or not like it's, right. it's just, yeah. So continuing with your story, what, what happened, you know, the next two, you did like a bunch of rounds, right? Right. You did a bunch of rounds. Um, we finally went to IVF. And so we did an IVF cycle in late March into April mm-hmm. and um, got pregnant. And that was amazing. And I will say that, you know, really having been the first time that at least I know I was pregnant. Yeah. That exhaustion thing that I had been like convincing myself at various points throughout, you know, the trial hit me full force. And I was like, oh, so this is what they meant by exhaustion. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, all that stuff before, not, not the same thing. Right. You know, it just happened that my husband had quite a few nights where he was either working late or um, he had something, you know, with friends or whatever. And so it was several nights of, you know, me coming home to my, you know, by myself and, Mm -hmm. and really being at home by myself for, for some time um, after work. Uh, at the same time that um, our dog, which had been my dog before then, uh, apparently really did not like me being pregnant. And so he was doing things like, you know, uh, peeing on my blanket on my side of the bed. Oh, yeah. And all of that. And so like trying to do all that while feeling bad and and everything, it was, it was a lot. And yeah. so there was a night finally that um, it was Thursday night and Mark came home and I sort of lit into him, right? And like all the hormones, all the this, you know, whatever, just kind of geared up to like, I was crazy, you know, like blow I, out. I was just <laughs> blowing on. He was like, what is going on? And I was yeah. like, you know, you don't understand what this is. And I'm exhausted and I'm barely keeping my eyes open. And I was staying up, you know, really uh, just so when he got home, he could give me the progesterone shot that like was hard for me to give myself. Uh-huh. And then wanting to go to bed. And so like, we weren't connecting, we weren't really like talking and, and spe- we weren't spending time with each other um, because I was so tired and like, you know, and I'm saying like eight o'clock, I was ready to like call it for the night, mm-hmm. um, which was very different than our relationship had ever been. Right. And so, you know, it was just so, so we ended up having this really big fight and, mm-hmm. you know, really talking through a lot of things and realizing, you know, we hadn't expected just how much exhaustion really meant. Right. Totally. And like, yeah. you know, what that looked like. And we didn't know our dog was going to, you know, just really react in this way. Yeah. Um, and, and that I was going to have to be dealing with this on top of exhaustion. Um, and so we had this really big fight and I, I remember there was a Thursday night. And so Friday, you know, we, we made up, we, we were fine, whatever Friday um, I was going to work and I actually felt better. I felt like, Mark really understood where I was coming from and that we were doing well and everything and got to work and I was bleeding. And so, you know, try to kind of hold it together and, you know, go to my office and I closed the door and I called the nurse and, you know, got told I would get a call back, uh, which, you know, I mean, there should be like a special like hotline for like, hi, I'm having a crazy moment (laughs) right now, immediately (laughs) at this moment to like, take care of me. Like the cray hotline. Uh, Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so, so in the meantime, I, I called my husband and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm bleeding. 
um, it's not a lot, but it is blood. And, you know, I have a call in and the nurse was supposed to be calling me back, but I just want to let you know. And he was like, okay. Uh, you know, kind of like you could hear that in his voice of this, like, uh, shit. Mm. And also at the same time, like, uh, okay, let's just, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go with it. Um, and nurse called me back and was like, okay, it's normal. When are you co- like, are you available today to come in? I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and if I wasn't like, I am now. Make it happen. Yeah. By the time he picked me up, I had like bleeding had increased. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got into the car and basically sobbed the entire way to the doctor's appointment saying, I'm losing. And we had, we had been calling um, the baby sweet key at that point, um, just based on like the size of where I was at just Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm losing sweet pea. Sweet pea is, you know, and um, so we went and, and they found, um, you know, longest, quietest ultrasound ever of my life. Yes. Um, which is, you know, like, right. You're like looking the whole time. You're like, I, I know what you're going to tell me. Yes. And so the doctor told us there was a gestational sack, no baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and told us we had miscarried. Mm. So sorry. And thank you. And, you know, kind of, I don't know, said something about, you know, I, this, that, and the other, we hadn't genetically tested. And so he, he talked about genetically testing and, you know, and really at that point he was like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you need, we will need to take blood work and then you'll need to come back on Tuesday to take more blood work and make sure that you are in fact miscarrying naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was like, okay, you know, go into this room with um, for blood work and you know, somebody will be in soon. And uh, I always remember, I, I, I like, I can picture this woman now and I had never met her before. And she came in and she was like, happy Friday. So you guys have big weekend plans. And <laughs> I was like, seriously, do you guys not like look at files or right? like, Oh my God. Um, oh, and by the way, Friday of mother's day weekend. Oh God. Oh, that's so tough. So, um, yeah, so we went home and I, you know, I sobbed and, um, you know, did the whole thing. And my husband was like, okay, so what have you not been able to eat while pregnant that you want to eat? And, um, got me a burger with blue cheese, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, did that and, and really spent the weekend morning and, yeah, um, that's really hard, especially on mother's day weekend. Right. And so, you know, did all of that and Tuesday went back for blood work. And during this whole weekend, while I was mourning and while I was doing this and I had stopped bleeding shortly after going to the doctor, I never said this because I thought people will think I'm crazy. So I didn't tell my husband and I didn't tell my sister, who's my best friend. So like, these are the two people I tell everything to, Mm -hmm. um, is I still felt pregnant. Mm, Yeah. And I thought people are going to think I'm crazy. So, Mm -hmm. um, didn't do it. Tuesday went and got blood work and then they called me Tuesday afternoon and they said, well, your numbers are rising. Um, we don't know why. So since you had an ultrasound scheduled for tomorrow anyways, which was supposed to be our first ultrasound of like the pregnancy, Mm -hmm. why don't you just come in and we'll take a look. And it was like, I don't want to go in. I don't want to take a look. What a roller coaster. Yeah. And so we went in and they looked and they found a heartbeat. Okay. And, you know, basically said like, okay, you're pregnant. And oh my God, like, oops, our bad, basically. Was oh like, my God, Michelle. Um, and I was like, uh, I'm sorry, what? And like, you know, again, thinking like very much like 
I had still felt pregnant and I was mm-hmm. right. Like, you know, and so it was like, okay, never mind, you're pregnant. And so, like, we're gonna keep doing it. Baby's measuring small, but like that's okay. We're mm-hmm. we're okay with that. So leaving <laughs> leaving the fertility place, my husband almost got into a car accident. Um, because I think we were both like, wait, what happened? Completely. And, like, what? Um and so, you know, eventually went to work, um, all of that. And then uh I had plans. Um, I was actually uh, throwing um, my sister a bridal shower, and so I had plans to do to do that kind of thing. And and uh, she and I were meeting up to go get our nails done before. And and I was in a lift, and I got out of the lift, and I took like two steps, and I felt a gush. Oh. And you know, probably the first and only time that I have ever hoped I peed myself. Right. Um, right. And you know, went in and and. Yeah, no, there was clearly like I was, I mean, the I ran into the bathroom in this in her building and that bathroom looked like a murder scene by the mm-hmm. time, you know, I was kind of doing this and I I cleaned everything up and um went upstairs and like really just didn't know what to do. And I had had told my sister already about this, I'm pregnant now. Yeah. Um, and I always remember I rang the doorbell um to her office and she came out from the back you know, of the office and was like, oh, come on this way. And I wanted to go to the bathroom and I wanted her to like see this and, 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 and tell me, like, I needed like somebody to tell me what to do all of a sudden. And I just remember like whisper screaming, I miss caring right now. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the bathroom and, um, you know, did this and, and ended up in the hospital because I was losing so much blood that they just didn't know. And, you know, I was going in and I always remember emergency room and, you know, weights and all this. And uh, they took me into the little triage room and the nurses, you know, taking my information. And then all of a sudden she looks down and she goes, is that your blood? And I literally was like sitting in a pool of blood. Oh and gosh. she was like, yeah, so uh, we're going to take you back now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you think? Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, did that and yes, did another ultrasound and I had fully, completely miscarried. No gestational. Oh, God, I'm so um, sorry. What a roller coaster. It's so hard emotionally too. And physically, oh, yeah. your oh, body yeah. is going through so much. Yeah. And so, you know, I will say that when I got pregnant, even before we like had the official test, I was dreaming of twins. We had only done one embryo. So I have since asked doctors and they all say like, yeah, it might have very well been twins and you lost one and then lost the other. They're like, we just don't know. And, you know, there was no testing of anything or whatever. So they're like, we just don't know. And then we did another round at the end of July and that one did not take. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time did not like the fertility center we were at. I was really, I didn't like the way that they had handled the miscarriage. I was getting frustrated with our doctor who I felt like didn't really know what he was doing when I miscarried. And we did like a visit afterwards. He was like, you know, I was like, can we do some testing of me to like, see, I mean, are there some things that we could like, you know, address so that I did, you know, so that I don't miscarry again. He was like, well, we typically wait until it's like, you've had two or three miscarriages before we do a panel of these testings. And I was like, no, no, we're doing them now. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I mean, the thing is, and I was like, oh no, we're doing them now. And we had this sort of like, you know, standoff. And finally I said, okay, look, here's the deal. We're doing these tests. So I will sit here in this office, in this chair yeah, 
until you draw my blood and you do these tests. Yeah. And he just like looked at me and, and I always remember he looked over at my husband. My husband was like, she's crazy. Now she'll do it. Like <laughs> she will do it. And I was like, I have a book. I have, I have work to do. I was like, I will sit right here. <laughs> Good and, for you to advocate for yourself. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, uh, and then he finally said, okay, well, I'm going to go let the nurse know. Okay, great. Yeah. And so, you know, with the second, you know, failed cycle, I was already starting to look at other fertility centers. Right. Um, my husband was like, let's go meet with him one more time. Let's see. And he had talked us out of doing two embryos our first um, time, saying some age and some weight things that he didn't recommend it. Okay. And so we had gone with only one embryo and we go back and he's like, well, you know, really what we might do is do two embryos this time and all this. And I was like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing has changed on this. And technically I'm older now, right? a few months. Why are we doing this? Yeah. What did they say? And, you know, and he was like, well, I mean, and just like no answer real. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know, at the time, he had sort of like mentioned vaguely once or twice PCOS um, and I do produce a lot of eggs. And so I, I said, Hey, you know, you had mentioned this, whatever happened with it. And he was like, well, we could just put you on metformin now if you want. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I was like, but like, I mean, is that like medically advisable? Like, I don't want to just go on a pill to go on a pill. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I mean, I guess it's not going to hurt. Okay. And so I just kind of like left with like a bad taste in my mouth, a prescription for metformin, but you know, basically was like, uh, yeah, forget this. Yeah. And so started taking the metformin. I had, we had an appointment with another doctor, I think like the following week I was on the metformin, which is a really yeah. tough pill to be on. I would right. say. Yeah. Um, and I was not loving it. And and then went to see the other doctor and just like world of difference. My, she had gone through, she was, she was pregnant at the time that we saw her um, and it was an IVF pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like she got it. And, you know, we talked about, we had used all of our embryos by that point. So we were going to have to do another egg retrieval and I wasn't looking forward to it. And I, and I told that to her, I said to her, like, you have to understand, like, I, I, I can't do this. Like I'm doing this one more time and that is it. Like, I'm never doing this again. So like, I want to make this work. And she was like, what is it that happened? And so I told her the symptoms and, you know, she really like sat down and took notes and everything and, and said like, this is not in line with what like should be your experience. And so she switched around some of my meds and we did another egg retrieval. And I mean, at the end, I think like a couple days before the egg retrieval, it might've even been the night before I turned to my husband. And I was like, you know what, if I had to, I would totally do this again. Mm. It wasn't this bad. Yeah. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, it honestly really wasn't that bad. Like mm-hmm. I, I you know, knew what to do. I had a doctor who was like checking in with me who like right away was like, uh, yeah, you don't have PCOS. So go ahead, get off the metformin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, thank God. Oh my um, gosh. And, I feel like you were like, oh, you know, this is such a roller coaster ride. Like, oh my God, yes. And just really like was very in tune with me. Um, you know, had sent me for a variety of tests, including like I did the glucose test and everything because there was some some indications of something. She just wanted to rule out some things. And um, she herself called me with test results and you know, sat on the phone with me and walked me through all these things. And 
explained IVF to us in a way that like, I remember walking out of there and we had already done two rounds of IVF and my husband saying, I actually understand IVF for the first time. And I was like, that's really sad, but okay. I get it too. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, really just was a world of difference. Um, so yeah. we, we did well with the egg retrieval. We genetically tested, still had a, a good amount of embryos. And so we implanted in December of 2017 and I got pregnant with our daughter Colette. Um, we found out three, two or three days after Christmas, but on Christmas day, my entire family was like, uh, yeah, you're pregnant. Um, because I, my sister gave me a gift of like, it was a tote bag that had like, my dog is a Pomeranian named Nemo and it had a Pomeranian figure and it said Nemo on it. Uh And, um, I opened it up and started crying and they were like, uh, yeah, you're pregnant. Like, (laughs) uh, okay. That's not you. And that was just like how I was. But, um, so I was pregnant and, you know, had a, had a tough first trimester morning sickness is like the worst name for what you experience Mm -hmm. um, because everything made me throw up all day long. Oh gosh. Um, and you know, just was tough and I was tired and, you know, had terrible like pregnancy brain and whatever. Um, but you know, was doing well and, and was, was excited and, you know, got past that like scary first trimester. Uh-huh. And, you know, I remember my OB who I had known very well by this point and had been through a lot with her um, said, yeah, sing it from the mountaintops. Like you're, you're good. And so we did, you know, and oh, we wow. had, like, it was exciting and it was fun and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. So how many years into the, your fertility journey was this? So we were right about two years in okay. at this point. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, so we went along when I was 21 weeks pregnant, we went to a standard OB appointment and they took my blood pressure and the nurse sort of like took it and then kind of like, I couldn't see the screen or anything and kind of looked at it and said, hold on, I'm going to take it again and did it again. And then <sighs> said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few minutes because you, you know, I, and I had, it had happened to me that yes, on this particular day where they, where the room was in relation to the lot, like the waiting room was a long walk. And she was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a chance to like, you know, settle down and I'm going to come back and, and take it again. And I said, okay, didn't think much of it. And so I don't know, five, 10 minutes passed, whatever. And she came back in and she took it again. And then she said, huh. And I was like, is it high? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay. And, and she didn't, really like say much more. And I thought, oh, all right. And so she left and my OB came in and, you know, we did, we did the Doppler and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and then she said, you know, and, and one of the reasons why I love my OB is she's very calm and, you know, not, I have enough anxiety. I'm, you know, have anxiety naturally and, and all of that. And so it's very nice to have like a calm, soothing Mm-hmm. person. And she said, you know, so she said, you know, your blood pressure is high and I can't just let you go home. And she said, so I'm going to tell you to go to the, the hospital and go to labor and delivery and they're going to monitor you and check you out and, you know, put, probably put you on meds and that kind of thing. And I said, okay. And I was like, is, should I be like really worried? And she was like, 
just let's start with going to the hospital. Let's see, you know, they can do some more treatments than I can do in here and things like that. Yeah. What were you thinking? And like, what was your heart of heart sayings? Were you freaking out? I wasn't, you know, she had made me calm and I was like, okay. I was like, all right. I mean, yeah. And so we, you know, drove over and, and as I was walking out to the car, I had the like after visit summary in my hands and my sister had called. She knew I had this appointment and she was like, Oh, how did everything go? And, and I was like, uh, yeah, so I'm going to the hospital. Like, don't tell, like, don't tell mom and dad. Like, I'm sure it's going to be one of those things that like, we're going to look back on and laugh because it can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we're walking to the car, you know, I'm, I'm chatting with her a little bit and, uh, I happened to open up the, like it had been folded and given to me. I happened to open it up and I looked down and my blood pressure had been 188 over 110. Okay. Whoa. And at that moment, I think that was when I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, I think when they were saying it's high, I was like, well, okay. You know, like I wasn't thinking that high. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I showed it to my husband and he went, what's normal again? And I said like 120 over 80. And he was like, shit. Oh, wow. So we're like, okay. And so we got in the car and I often rely on like sort of dark humor to get me through situations. So sure. Don't um, we all? (laughs) Right. So I said to him, I said, you know what it is? I was like, I was running from work. We did a, like, we had usually done an early morning appointment. This happened to be like a 6 PM appointment. I was running from work. I had been really worried that you know, like I wanted to hear the heartbeats and all of that. And so like, I was probably really nervous. And then like, we did the Doppler after that, after they had taken the blood pressure and everything. So we're going to like get to the hospital and they're going to laugh at us for like wasting our time coming over here. Because probably now that I've heard the Doppler and all this, it's probably, you know, gone back down to normal. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly what I thought. And so, you know, my husband dropped me off in the labor and delivery. I was so early that like the security guard was like oh are you coming to visit somebody and I was like mm-hmm. no actually I'm the patient and he mm-hmm. kind of like looked at me and I was like yeah because I'm not really showing much right like it looked you know I mean if you knew I was pregnant you could see that there was a little bit of a bump but if you mm-hmm. didn't know I was pregnant you would just think like oh she just had like a really big meal or something right and so they took me back and and my blood pressure had actually risen so I was actually oh, like 190s and you know, it's just this crazy thing. And then of course, to add insult to injury, they decided to look for the ultrasound and the nurse who took me in couldn't find Clet on the ultrasound and couldn't, then she like called her boss who couldn't find her and then said, oh, well, like, don't worry about it. Like sometimes we just can't do it. And the resident finds right away. They called a resident. What I didn't know at at that moment was the resident, it was like his first week in Mm. this residency. And uh, so then he had to call somebody else. And in the meantime, my blood pressure spiking and the original nurse looked at me and said, honey, you just have to relax. I was like, you can't find my baby. Like, I mean, right. Like, how am I relaxing? Yeah. And so they finally did. uh, And they said they were going to admit me. And, you know, in the hubbub of everything, I kept hearing about this like 24 hour urine test they were going to do. And I was like, oh, so that's why they're admitting me. Okay. That makes sense. And so really I thought one night, two nights and I'll be back home and Mm -hmm. this will be a thing. So around midnight, my husband went home. Um, Our poor dog had not been out since, you know, seven o'clock that morning or whenever. And so he went to let him out and grab a few things for me since I was 
staying. And that was when my OB's partner who was on call was able like to come in. And she said, has anyone like told you exactly what's going on? And I said, no. And she said, uh, you have severe preeclampsia. She said, and you're going to be here until you deliver. And I was like, okay. And it was the night of May 8th. I was not due until September 7th. Wow. So how many weeks Um, along were you? What's the math? So I was, I was 21 weeks. Okay. Um, And yeah. And so, you know, not, (laughs) not really expecting to be doing this. You know, I had left work and fully intended to be back the next morning and Mm -hmm. was not going to be. And so, you know, I remember her saying to me uh, something along the lines of like, do you have any questions? And I was like, I have so many and I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And so, you know, kind of did all of that and, and really, you know, all of the things, right? Like how am I, I was managing a team. How am I managing a team when I'm right. in the hospital for right. hopefully months? Right. Like out of nowhere, you're like, how am I doing this? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, am I going to be okay? Is, is, you know, baby going to be okay? Yeah. Um, You know, uh, like we don't have a car seat. We don't have a crib. We don't, you know, like all of the stuff, right? Like um, I was early enough on in the pregnancy that we had very little for, you know, we had a few outfits here and there and we had, you know, one or two, you know, little things, but we didn't have any like actual things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is a lot to kind of take in and, and then a lot of numbers and a lot of, you know, when success rates and when viability happens and, and all of this and, you know, a lot of in and out and, Mm -hmm. you know, managing, figuring out the right dosage to manage my blood pressure and to have somebody, you know, coming in every, like, I think it was every three hours they would take my blood pressure and they would weigh me every day because that's also another sign of preeclampsia. And I had to do these urine tests and, you know, all of it, it was just kind of like waiting and seeing. And so they told us that she was measuring already a little bit behind. They weren't super worried because they were telling us there's a little bit of off with um, ultrasounds. And then also they were hoping that once my blood pressure regulated, she would just catch up. And so really I spent my days, I spent a little over three weeks in the hospital and just really, you know, I did some work from the hospital you know, did a lot of watching TV. Um, mm-hmm. Thank God that we live in a world that Friends is on like all the time on TV, <laughs> right? Um, because that's what I watch a lot of. Yeah, and you know, really just got visited and then would have blood pressure checks and had a couple of spikes and they would have to up dosages and and that kind of thing. And then after three weeks, they did a repeat ultrasound and like I said, they were hoping that she would have caught up to. Everything And really what we found was that in those three weeks, she hadn't grown at all. And so the doctors recommended that we do delivery because their feeling was they could do more interventions on the outside. And so I delivered her via emergency C-section. I did a classical C-section, which is like where they cut both ways. So it's even a harder recovery than a C-section. Oh, wow. And delivered her at 24 weeks, five days. Mm -hmm. And you know, they had warned us throughout, you know, all the prep, like, she's not going to cry. She's too early. Like, you need to be prepared for that, all of that. And so mm-hmm. um, they took her out. They said, it's a girl. And uh, that was actually the first time I remember actually being referred to as a mom by somebody. Oh, did you um, know it? she was a girl when she was so in there? We 
had not officially found out, but I had known Clet was a girl from like before I was pregnant. Like I just, mm-hmm. I knew everything in my being told me she was a girl. She was a girl. Um, and in fact, like when we were looking at and choosing names, um, my husband kept being like, okay, well now we need a boy's name. And I was like, no, we don't. And she, he was like, yes, we do. And I was like, it's not a boy. I was like, oh. I'm telling you yeah. it's a girl. So um, my mom had said it was a boy. And so one of the nurses had been there when my mom was like, it's a boy, it's a boy, like right before delivery. And so that's why I remember is she was like, it's a girl. And then this nurse said, oh, look, mom was totally right. And grandma was wrong. Mom. And yeah. I remember hearing that and being like, oh, I'm mom. Like, <laughs> yes, oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. And because at first I was thinking like my mom and my grandmother, I was like, you didn't see my grandmother here. Like, what are you talking about? And right, right. And kind of doing that. And uh, we're straight off to NICU. And we spent um, nine days in NICU, which is a whole other roller coaster yeah. of mm-hmm. emotions. God and, bless all the NICU um, medical team oh and NICU God, mama yes. and daddies out there. Oh my God. Yes. Some yes, of my, yes. a couple of friends of mine through this community are experiencing that right now. So sending right. extra love to them. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, and, you know, and I will say that the one nice thing is uh, my sister was a preemie. She was eight weeks um, premature. And so uh, my mom as a fellow NICU mom said to me, this is a roller coaster and you will start off some days thinking your kid is a total rock star and is just defying odds and you will end it feeling totally differently. Mm. And then you will have vice versa and you might have it back and forth two to three times in the same day and like mm-hmm. you just have to hang on and like do this. And, and that was really like kind of the best thing that anyone could have told me at that mm-hmm. point, because that's what it was like, you know? And you know, she hung on and after, uh, nine days, we, um, we lost her and, um, so, so, so sorry. Thank you. What happened? Um, her lungs were really underdeveloped and the technology that NICU has is when they are that underdeveloped, um, they can put them on a a certain respirator. Mm -hmm. That respirator will eventually, um, it's, it's a tough one and it'll eventually start to kind of break away a little bit at the lungs and the tissues. Um, so they don't like to, to keep babies on that for very long and they will Mm -hmm. transport them to another one that won't do that to their lungs. So they, she had been on the, on the first initial, like kind of tough one for a little while. Um, they had tried several times to switch her over to the other ventilator and she, it, she just wouldn't take it for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, they would try to do it at slow points. That's usually how they do it. They'll do it, you know, maybe an hour or two at a time. Uh, and usually, you know, kids will get the, the goal is to get them to a point where they can do it. Um, but she wouldn't really last very long. And we mm-hmm. knew that. Um, and so when they, had put it in. Finally, they were saying like, we think there's just been so much damage with her lung tissue because she's not responding well Mm -hmm. uh, to any sort of treatment. And so um, we knew that um, everyone, you know, like my whole family started to gather because they were telling us, you know, kind of like, this is, this is going to be it. And I refused to believe it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just really thought she would pull through and, and be good. And, and, and so I don't think anybody imagines that it's not, no. it's going to go the other way. Right. It's right. Just no, unfathomable. Not, at all. not at all. And, uh, so I, I do remember like being, and so like in, in, in our NICU, uh, they would do uh, shift changes and shift changes were like all the parents had to leave during the shift changes and they were like 
you know, hardcore on those. And um, it, we were actually there alone um, with doctors and nurses during a shift change. And like, that was kind of like my first indication of like, this is really, truly happening when they mm-hmm. were like breaking this rule. And, um, and even like, at some point, you know, it was only supposed to be two people at the bedside and, you know, one of them had to be a parent and all of this. And at some point my sister was allowed in. And yeah. I remember her being with us. Um, and so, you know, right at the point um, I could feel the doctor sort of starting to talk about like making those decisions and and making that, you know, those calls. I remember, I remember shouting in my head, did I shout it out loud? Not really sure at this point, but saying, please Clint, do not make me make this decision. And, and I just remember saying that, like, because to me, I was just like, please don't make me make this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost instantly her numbers started to drop on their own. Um, and you know, and to me, so they, they, um, to me, that was always like a gift she gave me. Yeah. Oh, Um, I just got the full body chills. Yeah. (laughs) And so they kept her alive and, and, um, she was baptized, which had been something that was really important to me. And, and then we went to a family room. And so, um, my parents and my mother-in-law and, um, both of our sisters, and their husbands um, were there and we all got to hold her and um, she died in Mark and or my arms, you know, in the best possible way, you know, mm-hmm. if, if ever we we're going to do this. Um, and, and part of the reason why, you know, during COVID, my heart breaks for everybody who is lost um, mm-hmm. because so many people have had to go through that alone. And, you know, I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how I did it, but I really don't know how you do it when you're alone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we got to take, um, so now I lay me down to sleep, which is an awesome organization. Yes. I've heard a um, lot about them. Yeah. So tell us um, what the, what they do for people who so might they not know. So they come and um, volunteer fo- uh, photographers with the their nonprofit volunteer photographers come and they take pictures of babies who have died after they've died. So it was the first time we had pictures of her without, you know, a ton of tubes and right. on her and, and all of that. And so they're the really gorgeous photos just of Colette and, uh, you know, another like shout out whoever did it um, at our hospital. Um, they have angel gowns that are made out of, um, that volunteers make out of wedding dresses. Oh, yes. And I've so heard about that she too. had, and, and, you know, this gorgeous gown. And, and so, um, you know, really, you know, it was pictures that like, yes, we're not what we intended, but we're essentially, you know, newborn photos. Right. And, and, and it's so wonderful to have you know, those. It's, it's just really wonderful. And I, I remember at the time when they offered it, my thought was, I can never go back and, and do them if I don't do them now, but I can mm-hmm. have them and never look at them if I wanted to. And That's a great way to think about it. You yeah. know, and we did that. And, uh, you know, when they came, um, my husband and I waited till we were together and I was like, I, I want us to look at them together. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know what I want to do with them after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just, it was gorgeous. And we could see, you know, we could sit there and see in the way that, you do with all babies where it's like, Oh, look, look, see, you know, um, one of the things that I remember is Clet had my nose. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like that to me, you know, to really be able to see that and to be like, Clet has my nose. Okay. You know, was really just lovely. And so um, we got to do all of that and, you know, we left and we left the hospital and, 
I mean, it's so strange of an experience to be a mom and to not have a baby is just a strange experience. And, and, you know, um, and to leave without the baby, to have to leave that hospital, that must be one of the most difficult situations ever. Yes. 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 Yeah. I'm so sorry. um, You had to go through that. Thank you for Um, sharing this. I know you're helping so many people by talking about this. Of course. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's a very strange grief. And, and um, my, my grandmother died a few months ago now. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this afterwards, right? Like I, I cried and I mourned and I did all of that, but nobody was like talking to me or I wasn't thinking about like, oh, well now I have to go find another grandmother. Like my grandmother mm-hmm. died and that was end of it. And so like, I think that that's really unique to kind of, you know, baby and child loss is I still wanted to have a child at home. And so, you know, and people talk about that with you. And, and I, I always think about that with, you know, after having recently had a, a loss of another nature of like, you know, great people who came to the wake and the funeral, you know, talk to me about, you know, like, oh, she was so incredible. You know, she always made me laugh. You know, she, man, she loved you, you know, all of those kinds of things. But nobody was like, well, at least, you know, you can have a grandmother. Mm-hmm. But people say things like, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's a very strange world to be in when that is happening and you're hearing that. And and you're trying to think of those kind of next steps at the same time you're grieving a child. Mm-hmm. And at the same time that you're worried about losing that connection through grief right. um, to your child and bringing another child home. And what does all of that mean? And it's very odd. And, and you're dealing with, you know, guilt. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, spending hours thinking of like all the different things I could have done. Right. So, you know, I was at a job that clearly like had, had gotten to a point where um, I had a boss that was, that was toxic and very um, difficult during my pregnancy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, so you think about things like, well, what if I had just quit that job while I was pregnant? Like she was, she was already putting enough stress on me. And if I had had that stress removed and what if this, and what if that, and you know, all of those kinds of things. And then I remember how talking about this with my therapist, my therapist said, okay, so let's say you had done that. Do you know for sure you wouldn't have had the same, and like you would have had a different outcome. And I was like, no. And she was like, yeah, you can't do that. But we naturally want answers, right? Like we want to know right. that we can do this. So ultimately, uh, you know, we, we tried naturally. Uh, we went back and talked to maternal fetal medicine that really, you know, unfortunately, and I think this is large part of where, you know, we really need to do some advocacy on research because, you know, they work with what they know. And so yeah. there wasn't great big you know, recommendations for changes. Mm -hmm. And we tried naturally for a while. And then we did do one round of IVF um, that didn't take. And, you know, I remember when we found out it didn't take that my, like, you know, I was, my husband was at work. I was, um, you know, away. And so we hadn't seen each other when we finally got 
both got home and, and could see each other, um, you know, were hugging me and my husband's crying. And I remember feeling mm-hmm. a sense of relief mm-hmm. that I wasn't pregnant. And then that's hard too, right? Because like, you know, kind of going back to the very beginning, I had always wanted kids. Like how could I yeah. be relieved to not be pregnant at this point in my life? And, Completely. you know, and, and really struggled with that kind of guilt feeling and, and that kind of thing. And then ultimately the end of April of 2019, I approached my husband and I said, I, I don't think I can be pregnant again right now. Yeah. Um, I still very much want to have children and, and I want to have biological children. And so I want to go with a gestational carrier mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I know that I completely floored my husband because in the aftermath of Cliff's death, when we talked about, you know, our options, uh, I had said, no way, no how mm-hmm. will I let somebody else carry our child. Mm-hmm. And so I know he was like, wait, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold on, time out. Mm-hmm. Like a year ago, you felt totally differently. Like what ha- has happened? And it really was that like the act of being pregnant scared me so much that although I wanted the end result, I didn't, I couldn't see putting myself through that. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I wanted to maximize the chances of the end result being the end result we wanted and not the end result of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so we found a gestational carrier, um, mm-hmm. who was absolutely amazing and, um, got pregnant on the first try and we have our rainbow son. And oh my gosh. It's amazing and wonderful. And, just absolutely lovely. And yes, you know, and, and in, in doing that, we, we gained more family, right. We gained family of our surrogate and her family. And, right. You know, and so, you know, so it was really real quick, like a lovely did you, thing. Did you use an agency or how did you we find did. the, okay. We did use an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, really you have those conversations, you know, like who do we know that, you know, would be possibly be willing to, and that, didn't have, you know, so, so right. We have some friends who have like history of miscarriage and Mm -hmm. things like that. So we didn't want to ask them. And, you know, we have friends who are, you know, at an age where we know that it's not really the best option. And and so we did go through all of that. Um, And ultimately just really didn't feel like anybody was a great fit in that or that we felt comfortable asking. Um, So, you know, for example, um, my sister who does not currently have kids, you know, we thought about asking her, but we didn't know, you know, she was married and they were sort of trying, but not trying and, and, you know, kind of that sort of thing. And, um, and ultimately I felt like, you know, if she, I didn't want her to get pregnant for us, Mm -hmm. um, her first time, like I I wanted that to be for herself. Right. Uh, And, you know, so it was was things like that, that, you Mm -hmm. know, we went through and ultimately went with an agency who, you know, really got us like the most incredible woman who, you know, just really um, loves being pregnant and has had easy pregnancies and who really took to heart uh, with her first child. Uh, One of the nurses made some sort of flippant comments like, you were born to be pregnant. And she really has taken that to heart and really like remembered that. And, and, um, And she said, and then when I was hearing about, you know, families that that wanted to bring a child home and couldn't and and I didn't have those same issues I really felt like I needed to to do something to help those families and that was what she did and right you know it's it's an incredible 
experience. I'm yeah. so I'm so grateful that we did it. But you know, that comes with loss as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, we found out she was pregnant. We were thrilled. And you know, we did all the excitement and everything. And then, you know, a day or two later, I had a real breakdown of mm-hmm. that loss of caring. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what did that feel like? And and what was what was that going to be? Did I want to, you know, was this the best decision? And was I going to bond with our child? And, right. Yeah. Um, you know, all the things that you worry about, right. Which of course, you know, of course my husband's looking at me like, well, I was never going to carry a child. So I don't understand what this feeling yeah. is. Yeah. No, and, I get it though. You know, um, that kind of thing. Uh, and I really did, you know, I mean, I, I worked through that. Um, but you know, I, I was worried up until, he came into this world mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to bond with him mm-hmm. um you know now looking back on it right like the first time they they you know gave him to me to do the kangaroo care and like you know the first time yes we did it I was like well that was a stupid worry to have the entire right. pregnancy um but you know I think even you know talking about normalizing some things I think you know we need to normalize that not every woman has this like great you know magical thing as soon as they give birth and they see their child where they're like oh we're all you know we're one and completely not everybody does have that and that's okay like there's there's nothing wrong with that exactly um exactly thank you for saying you know, that and yeah. uh so you know yeah. i think i i i glamorize it to a point and you know and and our connection was very different than it was with clet for a variety of reasons right like i clet, i felt clet move around inside me but that I didn't get to hold her right at first. And so right. that was a very different connection than I had with Elliot, who I didn't get to carry and I didn't get to feel move around inside yeah. me, but who I could hold, you know, instantly, basically. Totally. You know? I mean, and that was a very different experience as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just it's looking at all of those kinds of things and and really, you know, seeing how it it comes to fruition. Um uh-huh. but yeah. yeah. So tell me before we wrap up, um, yeah. we just have another minute or so. Can we, can you tell me about your foundation Absolutely. Yes. and what um, it does sure. and how people can get yeah. in touch with you? And I'll put all this, you know, in the show notes as well, but tell yeah. us about your amazing foundation you created. Thank you. Um, yeah. So one of the things that really, um, you know, started think- me thinking throughout all of this was the financial impact that all of these kind of you know, situations make. Um, so, you know, I landed in the hospital at 21 weeks pregnant. I essentially lost my income pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we were able to absorb that blow, but, you know, most families can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really thought about, you know, that kind of thing, the high-risk pregnancy, the bed rest, all of that. Um, and then in NICU, you know, all of the the travel, right? We had somebody in the same room um, as Clet who was traveling from about, on a good day in Chicagoland traffic, an hour and 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that adds up as a cost and, you know, um, and they had older children. So there was, you know, childcare and, and, right. and um, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and then in loss, you know, it's very, a very quick decisions you're making and, 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 they can be expensive and And decisions you never thought you'd have to contemplate too. It's just like you're thrown into this situation. You're like, what? So, so you guys are, you know, you're here to help the people who are coming after you. And what do you guys do exactly? 
Yeah. So we um, provide financial assistance. That's like what we're most known for, financial assistance for kind of what we see as the three stages of Colette's life. So um, high-risk pregnancy or pregnancy that develops complications, um, NICU stays, and then loss. Mm, And uh, yeah, and it was just, um, you know, an incredible way to honor Colette and to Mm -hmm. really help families that find themselves in similar situations. Uh, And so we also do a lot of education, a lot of advocacy on improving sort of systemic issues and and making people aware, right? You know, some of the things we've talked about, like what to say to people, you know, Mm -hmm. going through infertility, going through loss, going through all of these things, the fact that it's a problem. I mean, we're in the midst of a really serious maternal health crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, what are we doing about that? And so we do that, but our financial assistance program, um, we start, we launched actually on Clet's due date. Um, so September 7th of 2018, mm. and um, we just hit 1,000 families helped, wow. um, which is amazing. And so we are a nationwide organization. Um, we have so far hit 42 states and mm-hmm. are always working on the other eight. And, you know, really just providing, you know, everything from transportation costs of, you know, gas gift cards or um, lift rides to rent, to mortgage, to phone bills, to car payments, car insurance, you know, a hundred other things that we've done um, to really, you know, try to remove those barriers so that, you know, um, families can, in fact, do the pregnancy bed rest that they need to do yeah, and can, in fact, get to all of their prenatal appointments and, and can be at the NICU as long and as often as they possibly can. And that can can have that chance to grieve and to memorialize their child or their loss. Right. And, you know, trying to do that. So, um, yeah. So we have, like I said, we've hit a thousand families and we've given away over $950,000 in grants. And yeah, it's just, it's been really incredible. Um, Such a beautiful way to honor Colette and Oh, just taking care of the logistics so that someone can focus yeah. on the love and the family, yeah. you know, and the healing and the, right. the health concerns and all that. So it's, right. I think it's so cool what you're doing. Thank you so, so, so much of for course. not only creating that, but for sharing your story, just to final, you know, final words. Is there anything that you, you know, could say to somebody who might be going through like a recent loss? Yeah. You know, I think it's um, feel whatever you need to feel. You know, we, we put these sort of like time caps on, okay, now it's been, you know, X amount of time. So you should be over it or moved on. Um, and, and you're not, you know, this is, I, I carry with this with me all the time, you know, and I, I will say to, you know, to Nick, you parents ask questions, you know, you are your child's parent. Uh, you know, sometimes being a NICU, you can feel like you are more a visitor, but you mm-hmm. are their child, their parent. And so you are their advocate and you are their spokesperson, ask questions, challenge systems, get those answers because you're entitled to do it. And I think that that's something that's hard in NICU uh, to remember. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Michelle, sending you a ton of love, Michelle. Thank you for sharing all of that. Guys, please check out the Colette Louise Tisdall Foundation. Definitely pass it on if you know anybody 
who has gone through anything and they might need their resources. It's a great, great foundation with a great mission. So I'm happy to support it, happy to spread the word about it. And I'm just really glad that you guys found this podcast and that you listened today. So thank you so much. Also, don't forget that Fertility Rally membership is open. We are open the first week of every month. So if you guys need extra support, you want a badass community of people who get it, please check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally, or you can go to our website, fertilityrally.com. We have monthly and annual memberships. We have four support groups per week, which have just become incredible. Every single group we do has, has been so great. And we're happy to support you no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through. It's all virtual. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You could be at the very beginning of your journey or you could have been here for a while, but everyone is welcome. So check out Fertility Rally. Thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time.